from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur podcast. My name is Jonathan Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. So very excited about our guest today. Happy we were able to slip him in right before the new year because we need predictions. What is happening in 2021? That's what we're going to talk about. And my guest is Roy Bingham, who is the CEO and co-founder of BDSA, the company formerly known as BDS Analytics. And they are a leading source for cannabis industry data and insight. Roy is a Harvard Business School graduate and one of the smartest people you will meet in cannabis. And so we are delighted to have him on the show. Roy, welcome. Well, that's very kind of introduction. Thank you, Jonathan. You know, Harvard Business School graduate doesn't mean you're intelligent, um, or not particularly <laughs> intelligent. I'd be much more impressed by someone who's got a PhD in cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, we won't even talk about where I graduated from, the School of Hard Knocks. But anyway, you know, before we get started here, I'd love you to give our audience, in case they are not familiar with BDSA, a little 30,000 feet up overview of kind of what your company does. Yeah, so we were called BDS Analytics, you're absolutely right, but we decided that we had to be hip and cool. So we're now BDSA, uh, which is a bit easier to remember, probably and less of a mouthful. And BDSA is the leading source of market research information on the legal cannabis industry, not just in the United States and Canada, but now around the world. What does that really mean? Well, that really means that we have our pulse on what's happening in the industry. We have data feeds from well over a thousand dispensaries who are giving us all of their transactional data about every single product that they sell in the store. Uh, we're able to import all of that data, organize it, categorize it. That's no easy task. Mm. We've processed more than a billion transactions now through our system. And of course, there's no standardized SKUs and barcodes and all those easy things in this industry. So we have to do it from descriptions. So what does that all that do? There's a lot of words, but that basically means that we can tell how big is a category on a state-by-state basis, how fast is it growing, what are the subcategories within that category? So a category might be ingestibles, a subcategory and within it might be candy. And then within that, there might be gummy candy would be a sub-subcategory. Then we can get down to which brands are the leading brands, how big are they, what price points are their products selling at, what's their market share, who's their competition, how innovative is the space, how many other competitors, etc. Then the next area is consumer. So our clients then say, well, well, that's great, but I need to know who the end consumer is. And therefore, I need to figure out how to target market my product to the right kinds of people. And we've been surveying 20,000 consumers every six months for the last three years now. So we have tons of insight about not only who the consumer is from a demographic point of view, but more importantly, attitudes, beliefs, behaviors. And we've recently segmented those consumers into 10 different types of people based upon their attitudes and beliefs, rather than whether they're male, female, young, old, income levels, education levels, all those other things, which are ancillary, they're, they're interesting, but they're not as useful as whether or not someone believes fundamentally that cannabis is a central part of their lifestyle versus somebody else who says it's a good thing to augment my health status. 
So 2020 has been a unusual year, to say the least, and it must have changed a little bit about the way you collect your data. Have you had to pivot and shift a bit? I imagine not as many people are going into dispensaries, although they're still ordering from dispensaries. They're just selling in a different way. But tell me a little bit about the shift. So there have been a lot of changes in consumer behavior this year. It hasn't really affected our business too much because we're loading all of this data through the internet. We, yeah. you know, we don't actually have to go into the dispensaries very often. Right. Not um, and all of the surveys that we do are done online as well. So it hasn't had a lot of impact on how we conduct our business. But there have been uh, tons of changes in consumer behavior, starting with the imminence of lockdown uh, back in February and people not knowing uh, if they were going to be able to purchase uh, cannabis at all. Um, it was essentially, it was deemed to be an essential business in most states, uh, not everyone. And at that point, things started gradually to get back to normal. But we saw the biggest sales days ever back in February in California, Colorado, several other states on the day that it looked like, you know, the stores might be closed down, basically people rushed out to the dispensary. Then, of course, what happened is people got used to placing larger orders on a less frequent basis, and a lot of dispensaries were able to introduce pickup and delivery because the local legislation enabled them to do that. And so then it was order online for pickup or delivery, more like many other types of products. And that has gradually had a very substantial effect on the industry, but hard and subtle to uh, piece it out at first. But now, for example, people, instead of having a particular dispensary that you drive home past and you're like, okay, it's Friday, I'm going to go by the dispensary. You might go online and say, I really like this particular product. It's a gummy by such and such company. I'll Google for that and discover, oh, I can order it online, but from a different dispensary from the one I normally go to, for example, and it's a better deal. It's got a discount of some sort or something like that. So that's had all sorts of information. Impact on consumer behavior. And the technology has become much more slick. So it's an Amazon-like shopping experience. Once you've created an account, you can log in automatically with saved coordinates, and it remembers what you purchased last time. It might suggest other products that would be compatible for a person like you. You join a loyalty program that gives you special discounts and coupons that you can use when you're online ordering or when you're at pickup. So a very much more normal experience for consumers going into dispensaries. That was already happening. COVID has just accelerated it. So have you seen, we've seen a sort of, as you said, people kind of bulk ordering, being more selective, choosing different um, dispensaries for different reasons. Um, have you seen a change in consumer consumption? Have they tended to mm. gravitate towards different can types of cannabis, different ways of consuming cannabis. Tell me a little bit about what you've seen in terms of consumer behavior. Yeah, so first thing is COVID-19 has actually uh, boosted sales in the industry. So in the United States, we had projected this year sales of $16.1 billion in the license and legal market. That would have been 33% growth. Looking now at the data up through October and November, it's clear that we're going to exceed that level, hmm. probably around $18 billion for the year. 
Um, a lot of the difference, about $2 billion, is changes in consumer behavior attributable to COVID and lockdown and all of the other consequences of that. So it's been good for the cannabis industry. In terms of the specifics of which categories people have gone for, well, early on, they definitely went for more flour um, and larger orders of flour. And that also rippled over to uh, pre-roll as well, to some extent. But it was generally flour represents about 40% by revenue of sales in dispensaries. And that has gone up to about 45% or even 50%. It varies state by state, of course, depending on how mature each state market is and the availability of supply and marketing, etc. But flour became popular. So it was back to the old ways in a way because generally speaking over the last five or six years in the mature markets, flour has declined a few points of mm. the market. It's given them up to concentrates, typically. Concentrates had got to yeah. about 30% of the market. So what do you attribute this change back, the sort of back to the future yeah, shift to flour? Maybe a lot of factors. People being at home, locked up inside, uh, the which is where most people consume cannabis anyway. People are comfortable uh, with smoking at home, uh, which you can't, you know, often do that mm. when you go into the workspace or something like that, but you might be able to vaporize or you might take an edible when you're out and about away from your home. But now you're spending so much more time at home. Uh, so, you know, and, and there's been talk about people getting nostalgic for all sorts of things during COVID-19 and maybe going back to rolling your own as part of the nostalgia that also drove us back to comfort foods and mm. familiar brands and labels and that kind of thing. So concentrates did not grow up as quite as rapidly uh, as they had been trending. Although, remember, we had the E-Valley scare about lung disorders mm -hmm. that happened in 2019, really hit uh, consumer awareness in the middle of 2019 and slowed concentrate growth significantly. And that's gradually recovered. And then ingestibles have, uh, so edibles, and um, they've tracked along about normally. So yeah, it's been very good for flour in particular. A good year for flour, a year of flour. All right, so mm. let's look at. However, I'm not sure that that will continue for next yeah, year. Yeah, that's I think well, that we'll is probably a good, see a return to the normal. Patterns, yeah, well, that's yeah. a good segue to my next question, which is: Let's look at 2021. Now, you are not a fortune teller, and nobody really knows, you know, what 2021 is going to look like in terms of, you know, COVID and the lockdown. And we're all very encouraged by the vaccines being released, but we don't know how long life is going to get back to normal, or whether it's ever really going to get back to the the normal that was before the pandemic hit. So what are your projections and what are you, if you could put on your magic uh, future cap, mm. what are you seeing? Do you feel that flour will continue to, to hold strong? Do you see kind of, you know, will concentrates, you know, start rising again, ingestibles? Tell me, let's take me through each of the categories for a second here. Yeah, so I, I, we do expect a return to more normal patterns. And so we do expect, and this is talking nationally, but of course we have to be careful because we, it isn't a national market. It's a state-by-state -state market for the present time. And some of the new markets like Illinois, Massachusetts, Michigan, when I say new, I mean new to being large markets, yeah. are now very important to the national total. Whereas last year it was nearly dominated by California, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Arizona, and Nevada. Now it's a much more diverse market. 
um, those older markets were the patterns that we'd observed so much previously. Massachusetts, Illinois, and Michigan, definitely different at the moment, in part because of supply constraints. And Florida, I shouldn't ignore Florida. It's a very large market, medical-only market, mm. but very different in its character from most other states because of the local laws in Florida. So we are expecting to see those new states, new big states, adopt a more normal product category distribution of sales. So to end up with something like 30% concentrates, to have about 40% flour, uh, to have 15 to 20% in the form of ingestibles, and about 10% in the form of pre-roll. Some of them are quite far away from that at the present time. So that creates a great opportunity if you're in one of those markets. It's like, well, Consumers in general, state by state, are fairly similar, actually, in terms of what they purchase. They may be very different in personality, but in terms of what they purchase. And so you look to somewhere like Colorado, uh, Oregon, California, as the likely model of how my market in Massachusetts or Maryland is likely to, to become. And you can see significant shifts are likely in the future. But concentrates, especially in the form of vaporizer products as opposed to dabbables, uh, are likely to grow. Dabbables will continue to grow, but probably not as fast as vaporizer products, which are more friendly to new adopters inconsistent consumers. Then we see ingestibles as an interesting dilemma there. It's all about technology and whether the brand and the product delivers on consumers' expectations. And a lot of companies are working very hard on things like low dose and consistent dose and rapid onset mm. and even rapid or consistent or predictable offset. And when people can actually deliver that consistently in a product that consumers like and say, yes, I, I trust this. This is, a, this is a very predictable experience for me. It's like going into Starbucks in Michigan one week and Starbucks in Washington the next week. I'm going to get the same kind of cappuccino. That is going to influence consumer behavior and definitely drive improvements in those categories. And beverages would be a classic example there. Currently, only about 1% of the total market is beverages. It's about 5 or 6% of ingestibles. A very small market, tons of investment in technology. Lots of large companies in the beverage alcohol space forming partnerships with companies in the cannabis space in order to try and deliver on that promise. And you can clearly see that when they have something that's as consistent as an effect as going to have one beer that you're familiar with and you know it's a 5.5% alcohol beer and you know how you're going to feel or uh, some other, you know, a vodka of a particular brand that you're very familiar with, when they get that, most people expect significant growth. Now, we haven't talked about hemp or CBD yet. Is that something that BDSA tracks or is it only as it's sold in the dispensary, right? Because I feel like a lot of yes. that market is online. Um, I mean, you know, 7-Eleven sells CBD, so it's it's hard to yeah. really, you know, track. You can buy CBD products in at anywhere. least 10 different channels, so it's right. very hard to uh, track the data. Fortunately, we have a partnership with IRI, which is the largest data 
analytics company in America oh, uh, for what consumers are purchasing. And so they enable us to piece together the CBD story as well. We started off looking at the trend in dispensaries and we saw dramatic growth from only about 3% of products in dispensaries four years ago had CBD on the label to now it's more, close to 20%. And in some categories like topicals, it's nearly 100% of products have a CBD very clearly on the label. Uh, but then we said, okay, what's happening in food drug mass stores? What's happening in pharmacies? What's happening in the gift channel and in health food stores and online? As you said, online is a very large proportion of that. And we managed to piece together that story as well. So those CBD products over $3 billion of sales this year. And we expect them to continue to grow very strongly next year and for the next several years, especially in part as they become more widely available and as uh, clarity, there's clarity around the laws and regulations relating to CBD products. And we see CBD getting incorporated into a vast array of uh, consumable products. What are the form factors that, that you're seeing are the most popular I, I feel like a lot of people mm -hmm. take tinctures, sublingual uh, CBD, but I don't know. There's also CBD gummies. You know, it comes in all different forms. So I'm curious, what is this sort yes. of hot seller? Uh, it started off with uh, soaps, lotions, salves, mm -hmm. creams, that kind of topical application. And in some channels like pharmacies, that's about all that is still is available, at least in the big pharmacy chains and in certain states. But then we saw waters and beverages incorporated in a CBD. Yes, a lot of tinctures is an important category there as well. And now we're seeing CBD incorporated into supplements, into foods, into candy bars, into, you know, uh, any, uh, a whole mass of potential product categories. But the beauty products, it sounds like, are the ones that are the biggest sellers at this point that have CBD integrated into them. Yeah, that's a very important category. You yeah, know, um, the wellness. I maybe guess. not. I, we don't expect it to grow as rapidly as uh, consumable categories, uh, the ingestible categories. But um, yeah, it's very important right now. What about this? Is probably a little. This is not 2021. This is more like 2023. But I'm thinking about psychedelics, and you know, we we saw all this legislation in Oregon. You know, them legalizing certain psychedelics in Oregon, and you know. The, the, the rest of the country probably will eventually follow, but it's probably, you know, many years away. But, but have you guys started thinking about incorporating psychedelics into your analytics research? Because eventually there is going to be a market there. We have certainly thought about it. I'd encourage you to talk to a guy called David Champion at Maya Health, if you don't already know David. He's mm. all over that space and knows a ton about it. It's uh, very nascent. It probably yeah. doesn't really lend itself to the kind of technology that we uh, bring to bear. It's more of a survey environment um, and consulting with practitioners and professionals because of the very unique channels of distribution of psychedelics and, and frankly, some of the legal issues that are there as well. But it's a, a terrific growth opportunity and not a big focus for BDSA at present. All right. So 2021, what is, you know, is anything going to be left over from the way that cannabis was consumed and purchased in 2020 that, you know, consumers kind of got used to in 2020 and now are just going to continue to do in 2021, even when the world goes back to normal. You know, I think of a parallel being like the way we work now, you know, now, you know, at Entrepreneur, mm -hmm. we're not even going to have a, a physical office anymore. You know, this is kind of 
it's changed the whole way, you know, we're going to be doing work, business and we're going to be, you know, more virtual and remote. And I'm wondering if that changes, if you, if you predict that that kind of change is also going to affect the cannabis industry in terms of the way people shop for cannabis. Well, let's first talk about the way people shop for cannabis. You know, maybe, like mm-hmm. you said, they might not be driving by the dispensary on their way home from work anymore because they're working from home now. So are, have you, what, what are your predictions in, along those lines? Yeah, so we talked about the online ordering, uh, the ability to access product from your desk at home, and also product information and marketing. Now, that has to be done very carefully uh, in the cannabis industry because of all of the regulatory uh, barriers. But people are now beginning to figure out ways to get a message to a particular type of individual for a particular type of product. So there's going to be a lot more custom marketing to a target market of one that I talk about. And there are many companies that are now developing their products and their brand and their image and their marketing uh, based on a segmented type of consumer. So they might have identified a type of consumer who looks like you. You're going to hear more messages, messages that resonate with you. And uh, it'll be you know, done in a, a more sophisticated and simple way that enables you to click a button here and now you've placed your order. And depending upon your local regulations, that could be delivered to you or you have to go and pick it up at the or drive by and get it. That therefore leads to power for the most sophisticated brands are able to deliver those kinds of messages. That encourages consolidation of the larger brands, which is already happening anyway. And so you will see uh, mergers and acquisitions going on in this industry, as well as partnerships, where somebody's got a good product that's well established, somebody else has a great technology in order to deliver that marketing message, and they say, oh, two and two makes five. And so you'll see quite a lot of that uh, normal kind of stuff that you see in other businesses that you'll see going on here as well in order to get a product to a consumer. You see, we have a massive number of products in this industry. It's the most innovative industry uh, for consumers in, in America. There are tens of thousands of new products were created last year. In California alone, 19 new products per day were launched and sold on the market. That's crazy. Uh, Several and that's on the legal brands. market. <laughs> then you got the whole. Oh, list that's on the legal market. <laughs> right. Yeah. So next year we will see you know something like a hundred new products per day from ten new brands per day nationally across the whole country. So lots of people getting into the game and building small brands that might resonate with one type of consumer, but it's a niche consumer of some sort. And if that's what they've targeted, then that might be a great business. So I don't want to be a huge business, but I want to be the super premium product for people like Jonathan. Interesting. that's a fairly small market, I dare say. There are not that many people like you. You're fairly unique sort of a guy. <laughs> well, yes, and I and I like my cannabis a very certain way if you're listening. Mm. But that's interesting because before COVID went down, before 2020 shifted, the big story sort of around cannabis was sort of the consolidation of cannabis and then how and the sort of the, the bubble had burst a bit and then, that it was harder now to get in as a small business because there was a lot of multi-state operators and, you know, some of the the bad operators were already kind of getting weeded out, so to speak. But you still think there are opportunities for small companies to get into this space. It still has that kind of green rush mentality, right? 
Yes, actually, for the time being, unless and until there is a federal legalization, there is actually an opportunity created by the lack of federal legalization mm-hmm. at the state level, of course. So, you know, if you look at a state like Oklahoma, it's had this extraordinary rapid growth, uh, more than 700 dispensaries, I believe, actually operating. Some of them hmm. must be very tiny because yeah. it's not a massive state. Right. But a ton of opportunity for very small-scale entrepreneurs. I think it was $250 to get a license in hmm. Oklahoma to uh, have a crack at this, uh, at being an entrepreneur in this market. Of course, many of them will will not succeed and many of them will be acquired and merged up into more normal businesses. But that's an extreme example of the opportunity. Then there are brand opportunities on a state-by-state basis because the big guys can't necessarily come into your backyard unless they've made a deal with someone who's already in your Mm. state. And so the nimble may be able to get their products out on the shelves. What we're still seeing is each state among its top brands has mainly local brands. There are now a few brands that are in multiple states, as many as five or six states in the top 10 but so far, not the normal national dominance by a few brands. And we think that will change next year. We think there'll be at least one brand that's in 10 states by the end of next year, you know, and in 10 states in a significant way. That is interesting. I mean, there's no real household names right now in cannabis, right? Like I said, there's no, you know, there's no... And, and But that could change, yeah. you think, None in the next that meet the kind of marketer's dictionary definition of a brand yet yeah, because they quite, resonate yeah. with a large percentage of the population. Yeah. I wonder who that will be. Any, yeah. um, I don't think we'll see that one for another two or three years yet, although yeah. with merger and acquisition and consolidation. But even then, the inability to have a straightforward mass marketing right. will make it difficult to embed the name of a brand into a large enough proportion of the population. And, and I know you're not, you know, you guys don't dabble in politics. That's not your side of the business. But do you get a sense of where the political winds are shifting? And, you know, maybe this has a lot to do with what happens in in, Ge- in Georgia in January, mm. you know, with the Senate. But um, any sense of, you know, how close we are to federal legalization here? Do you even go there? In your um, <laughs> so most of our market forecasts, and we have forecasts for every single state, every province in Canada, 38 countries around the world, most of our U.S. market forecast is based upon a continuation of the state-by-state legislation, although we have... Um, We do think there will be a federal change in 2022 that will start to have an impact on the size of the market. Mm. That said, we're looking at a market that's growing at 25% compound growth year after year after year for the next five years. A federal change will help, maybe goes from 25 to 30, but it's not, probably doesn't go from 25% to 50% because it's already growing so fast. Plus, the federal rules will take some time to implement as well. So it can only it can be it will change the structure and characteristics of the industry. But from a pure consumer sales point of view, it may not have that dramatic of an effect because of the growth is already there. Well, Roy Bingham, this has been fascinating. If people want to, if entrepreneurs and business owners who are listening to this want to work with BDSA, what should they do? How does how does it work? Yeah, if you just uh, type in bdsa.com, 
uh, come to the website, you will find an opportunity to connect with us, um, sign up, um, receive our regular emails, learn more about us, or speak with one of our um, sales representatives. You know, my my email is royatbdsanalytics.com today. It'll probably be royatbdsa.com in a few days. And don't hesitate to come to me and I'll I'll pass that on to other people as necessary or um, I'm happy to speak with you directly. But what we're here to do is to provide the essential information to entrepreneurs who are building businesses in this industry. We know a lot about that. I used to do that. I built a vitamin and supplements company using this kind of information Mm. to make product development decisions, sales decisions, marketing decisions. Interestingly, in a market that was much more competitive than the cannabis industry and not growing as fast as the cannabis industry. So if that data was valuable in that situation, you can imagine how much more valuable it is to cannabis entrepreneurs. For sure. All right. Well, Roy, have happy holidays to you over there at BDSA. And uh, thank you so much for your uh, continued hard work on behalf of this industry and giving us so much transparency in an industry that is sometimes hard to penetrate as far as uh, data and uh, statistics and that kind of thing. So uh, we appreciate your work. Thank you, Jonathan. We're very happy to do it. And uh, happy holidays to you and all of your colleagues at Entrepreneur and to the listeners out there. It has been an extraordinary year. Let's hope we're about to turn the corner and everyone has something exciting to look forward to in 2021. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now. That's W-R-I-T-E. To get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.